Michael Waits Media, telling Asia's stories. I think I'm more nervous than you are. Hi. Why? This is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Social Innovation Podcast. That was awesome. Today, we are being joined by Alisa Napatiwa Amnoi. I'm going to do that again. Alisa Napatiwa Amnoi a co-founder and the CEO of Social Giver. I think the second time I got it better, yeah? Alisa, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. Before we get into the main part of the conversation, let's give our listeners a little bit of your background for context. Hi, so um, you can call me Alice uh, or... I really start to embrace my name, Alisa, Good. more as I as I get older, and and I think uh, it reminds me a lot about where I came from. Yeah. So growing up in Bangkok, but also growing up in many different countries while I was younger, and um, eventually uh, continue my education within Bangkok in international business management. Right. And then continuing my studies in the UK in supply engineering and logistics so interesting supply chain management so i didn't realize that you lived all over the world where else did you live besides thailand well i started off in i would say india my mom and dad they were in india and um, they started a family there they're both thai but they were working overseas and after India, we moved back to Thailand uh, for a short while. And then we moved on to Rome in Italy. And then after Rome, we headed off to Seattle, Washington. And that was also where I got to really develop my English skills. And then after that, we moved back to Thailand again. And by the time my parents moved to Sydney, Australia, I was already in university and I was uh, deciding to just like stay put in Bangkok and really just um, go ahead with my studies. I grew up uh, with, uh, with just an older sister and myself. And after going to the UK, I think and my parents being in Australia, we all reunited eventually to Thailand. <laughs> and so here we are. So everybody's <laughs> home now. Yes, they are. I think there's a special impact that living in many different places and particularly living all over the world gives to somebody. And I'm curious how you think it's changed your perspective. I actually have always came back to this question on how my experience shaped me. Yeah. And therefore, how do I want to curate the experiences that I want to live in move, moving forward? Right. And so... I have always felt like it was easy for me to talk to people mm. because I've always felt like there was a language or a cultural barrier. And if I wanted to get to learn and, you know, make new friends, you know, as a child, you had to be friendly and get to be very the one who take the initiative to talk to someone, right. even though sometimes I don't even know the language. You know, so it was always that challenge that pushed me to, you know, be the one who starts first and, and just go ahead and see how it goes. And that's how I felt that if I was genuine, I would be able to build new friendships, you know, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I think we'll get back to that later when we talk about starting Social Giver. But I think it's a really important trait of a of a great entrepreneur, and the ability to do sales actually requires someone to have the confidence to reach out to other people when they know that that reaching out may have a little bit of rejection associated with it. We can get back to that in a bit. <laughs> I want to jump forward. And this is just my own curiosity, but you're also a member of the Obama Foundation. I want to understand what it is, how you got involved in it, and, and how it works. Well, um, the Obama Foundation, I think they had a vision where, you know, they wanted to find a support network of change makers around the world. Right. And they know that it's not just about having the right skill set, but you know, coming back again to a support system where there are other people who are leading change in their respective countries or cities or even smaller towns mm. and forging those connections where you can actually share your experiences, you know, build on those values and really stand true to why you are doing what you're doing. And so the Obama Foundation was and I'm sure that it stands for many different things for different people, but definitely wanting to create a better future for everyone. And how do you become a member? Like, what's the vetting process like? How many people are part of it? Is it it's got to be difficult to get into, no? So the Obama Foundation has several chapters encouraging change makers around the world to build a kind of a support network, like a community of people who were able to support each other regardless of which city or town that they're in, you know, kind of getting everybody to have a chance to share their experiences, their struggles, and basically allowing us to support each other in ways in which we never thought was possible. Uh, of course, we had our own chapters within Thailand, and we we're able to also see how is it that we can encourage each other because every single Obama leader are in different roles. Some okay. of them are in the private sector, public sector, running different policies, or even social entrepreneurs like myself. And so it's quite a good mix of people, but at the same time, you know, I understand that they really wanted us to build and share the values that we have in a way that we can create our own, like where do we stand in why we do what we do. Right, and tell me again, how does one become a member? You can actually apply. The Asia Pacific chapter is just opening up again for cohort two. And so, you know, I highly encourage people who are creating change wherever they are uh, within Asia Pacific to also apply for this chapter. You can sign up, share the work that you do, share what your hopes and dreams are in order to create that change. Um, no matter how small it is at the moment, but I feel that in terms of consistency, if you're ready to commit to doing that, this is definitely a, a journey in which you would be able to gain so many great support and also be someone who can also stand up for somebody else who's going through these challenges as a change maker. Right. Okay, that's a great explanation. And we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes to that so people can, oh, can get in touch with you. I want to get back to your business. You started your career in what seems to me like a very traditional way. If my research is right, at one of the largest researchers, I mean, at one of the largest retailers in Thailand, what prompted you to move out of sort of the traditional world and into entrepreneurship in the first place? And also, was it something you'd always wanted to do or was it something you felt compelled to do? 
I'm actually not a born entrepreneur. You know, I, I did not come from a family of entrepreneurs either. And so, you know, being in a family that's very risk averse didn't actually prompt me to become entrepreneur because we always see this as, as a huge risk mm. and that the safer way was to study really well, you know, work really hard right. and of course achieve success through you know working in in a corporate and i and i never felt and i still don't feel that it's anything wrong i feel that it's definitely a path in which has taught me so much mm. and has allowed me to meet so many amazing people in that process and it also actually prepared me a lot to doing what i do today yeah you know a lot of people feel that it's completely different what i used to do uh, managing like supply chain and distribution for retailers. But you know, the heart of why I went into that field was the fascination of you being a consumer, but not really knowing where all your products are coming from. So I was more interested in all the things upstream and way behind the scenes before it even got there. And so you know, getting into supply chain and logistics was one of the key drivers for me to see how can we eliminate some of the impact more upstream rather than waiting for it to you know, reach you and then try to fix it later. Yeah, interesting. It also has to be interesting training for entrepreneurship as well. If you look at the logistics and supply chain space, it's very detail oriented and a lot of little moving pieces and parts, right? And if you can get your head around oh, that, definitely. but for sure, right? And if you can get your head around that, it's a good metaphor actually for building a business because most people don't see all those little bits and pieces that you say, they just see the end product. And to create a great Correct. end product, you have to understand that whole thing at the beginning. You, you're quite spot on. Uh, a lot of people feel that me being in the kind of supply chain management and distribution side of things, and me running a social impact business, right. um, that they're completely two different things. But actually, my experience in being able to manage very large projects allowed me to understand both from a legal perspective, a financial perspective, you know, operations, procurement, communications, time management, and even talking from people who are very operational, right. all the way to people who are sitting on the board. Yeah. Really interesting. It was really good practice for me. <laughs> yeah. In a way, so it reminds me, I was on the phone with somebody yesterday, and we were talking about why people that come out of consulting background are so good at starting companies. And there's, a, again, a connectivity between that and the supply chain in the sense that you have to understand all these little details about a company before you can actually start consulting with them. And if you don't, then you can't get to the end. And it's the same thing in the supply chain, right? So very interesting training ground for this. I want to get a better understanding of exactly what you're working on today and that social giver. Like, what does it do and when and why did you start it? Oh, that's a lot to answer all in one go. But um, let me start off by down. sharing with you. <laughs> um, we wanted to create a way for people to do good more often mm. and an easier way and more transparently. Okay. And most importantly, we want people to have fun in the process. And so we created a lifestyle platform that allows you to shop and donate at the very same time. 
So all the brands that are on socialgiver.com or the Social Giver app are actually volunteering their spare services onto the platform, allowing you to purchase the product and service at the best available price while the money are being raised to different social issues around Thailand. How does, how does that work though? Can you just give me an example? Let's just say, let's use the travel space as a great example, just because it's so topical. Let's say there's a hotel room available somewhere. I get it at a good price. I pay for it. What happens to the money that I'm using to pay for it? Does the hotel get it? Does the, the end sort of social impact part of this get it? How does that work? So we actually allow you to purchase the service. Suppose it's a hotel room. Um, the hotel would actually choose social projects that Social Giver has already curated. And they would say, I want to work uh, supporting this community to be able to you know, survive and get through the pandemic, for example. And the money that's actually being generated is being sent to work on these specific issues. And so to make the example even easier, okay. so as a consumer, you can come onto socialgiver.com or through our app, Social Giver, and then you can browse through a variety of different products and services for you to choose from. When you make that purchase, 50 to 70% of the whole amount that you pay for goes in cash to the different social projects that we have already curated to be on our platform. So brands that work with us are actually pledging their services onto the platform, allowing us to optimize these spare services that they already have on hand. And when we talk about spare services, it includes like empty rooms for a hotel, unserved seats in restaurants, unsold tickets for different uh, activities and experiences. And so it adds up to a staggering 39 billion US dollars of spare services just in Thailand alone each year. And so to wrap your head around that, it's actually that we have so much service waste that nobody talks about. This is something that you can't see or touch, like in a warehouse, that you see it as just sitting around and not generating any value. Right. Because, you know, with service, if you don't use it, you lose its value right away. Right. So what Social Giver wants to do is allowing people to be able to buy these experiences while at the same time, the money goes towards supporting different social issues that are in need of help. So how did you find out that this was even possible, right? And you're right. I can tell if there's an extra thing of water on the, on the floor because I can touch it, it's tangible, I can see it. But what was the realization for you that there were all these unused services? And you're right, $39 billion in Thailand alone is a staggering, it's a great word, it's a staggering number. What was the epiphany for you? How did you find this out? Uh, before Social Giver, we were running a nonprofit project that involved 100 artists, designers, architects to create an outdoor, like engaging exhibition okay. of ideas that anyone can do anywhere, regardless of background or age or uh, social construct. And, you know, there are simple ideas such as, you know, give a give a plant instead of giving dead flowers or uh, forgive someone or drive slower or, you know, ideas that anyone can do. And if a million people could do it, then maybe we can create some change. And so from that 
project called Idea Cubes, we were able to, you know, engage all these amazing, amazing artists and designers and architects to participate. And at the same time, when we start asking for funding from different companies, they were willing to give stuff rather than cash. And so we start to see that everybody wanted to give stuff. And a lot of nonprofits get this. They get a lot of stuff. Right. And they ended up having to spend more money to be able to auction off the stuff <laughs> or even having just to give their employees or their staff as, as a reward for the stuff that they got. <laughs> but actually, those stuff has value. And sometimes it's like out of great intentions of these brands to be able to want to give something, but either because it's, a, it's a not great economic times for them, you know, so they can't give cash or it doesn't make sense for them at that time because of their financial situation right? or that they don't know yet what they want to do uh, specifically in terms of their sustainability initiatives or other social impact means that they want to uh, focus on. And I feel that I saw that as an opportunity that what if we could create a way in which these brands can actually use their spare service or the service that they already have on hand to generate even more value for people who are willing to pay for that value. So as a consumer, you know, Michael, you can go on holiday with your family somewhere and you book it through Social Giver. One night could actually send a child to school for a whole year. I was just thinking, because I'm thinking about going away, I haven't had a vacation in a while. And also, we can talk about this too, but like restaurants really haven't been open for full-style business for like 18 months, right? So a lot of these companies actually need help. But on top of that, if there's a way to use Social Giver to find out the companies that actually support the social projects in which you or which I have an interest, well, then I should definitely go there first to see, just to make sure, right? There are tons of other platforms where I can book something, but this one allows me to actually give money to something that I support in a way that's more direct and more tangible. Is that fair? Yeah, correct. Plus, you also get to enjoy a great meal with your family at the very <laughs> same time. Yeah, but I mean, that that's the given part about it, right? But the non-given part, the non-obvious part about it is that by doing that, you're also contributing to the social good. And I think that there's a real, I think that there's a real secular change. And we can talk about your opinion on this, but I think COVID has highlighted to people that in good times and in bad times, creating positive social change is actually a necessary it's not a nice to have it's a must have and by leading your regular life you can still do it you don't have to do anything special or anything different you just go through your regular life and do it and now you're saying it's been out there for a while but let's just tell more people about it that there's a platform that actually makes it easier and like creates less friction around that process right most definitely and most importantly is that you are supporting brands who actually care. Yeah. Care enough that it, they actually walk the talk. They want to be a part of a community that paves way and say that there are projects in which are doing great work. I don't need to create a new project right. that I may not be able to sustain, but I want to be able to support organizations that are continuously doing that work. And that really says something when you want to be able to buy a product or service from a brand that says that I want to be able to do that. So it's really supporting that group of brands that, you know, sees that it's not just about making a profit, but also having purpose along with 
you know, having that engagement. So what is the vetting process for your team like for finding these projects, right? Because there are plenty of great projects and then there are some middling projects, right? You just want to be associated with the ones that are having the most impact. How do you find them? So in a way, it's like venture capital deal flow, right? You can see hundreds of these a day or a month or whatever. What's that whole process like? Well, we actually have different partners in which we also work with, but internally, we have our own criteria in which we use this to discuss with the different projects that we work with. Um, Of course, it's not like a, a very kind of labor intensive process yet. And the reason why we do this is because we understand the projects, especially the ones in Thailand here, mm-hmm. that may not have the whole international standard or even the resources to be able to communicate themselves, you know, as well as some bigger organizations. Can. Fair enough. But it doesn't mean that their work is not great. And, and most importantly, these projects that we work with, they need to also be willing to be transparent with how they are operating. You know, they should be also open to being audited. They are being very efficient in how they use their funds and also being resourceful that it's not just about, okay, now they have funding, they're just going to spend it. But are they resourceful and reach out to their networks and work with different partners so that they can leverage what they do with, you know, in exchange for other things. And so we try to find a multitude of dimensions on how we curate these projects. Besides efficient use of funds, we also see what is their strategy on creating a solution that leads to something more long-term so that the problem doesn't keep reoccurring again. And, And I think to give a better example is that I know it's very popular in Thailand to, you know, oh, it's your birthday, you want to go out to an orphanage and buy all the kids lunch. It's really a thing. And the thing is, you feel good. But the thing is, we choose to work with organization like Food for Good, who actually curate food programs, plan out the nutrition levels for these distant and remote schools. And of course, collaborate with chefs to make it actually taste good within the budget in which that school can afford, which could be as little as like 50 cents a meal. And so we're talking about more long-term ways in which that organization chooses to engage in, in the principals, the teachers, the workers in the canteen and the kids to be able to create a better nutrition plan. And so it's all of that. (laughs) I think you make a really good point. There's a little bit of, I don't want to call it virtue signaling, but there's a little bit of it's my birthday, I have some money, I want to take my friends and then take a bunch of kids out at an orphanage. But it's a one-time thing, right? And it does feel good and the kids love it. I know this because when I was at Goldman Sachs, we used to take a day off every year and do social projects like this. And one of the times I played tennis with, a, with kids from an orphanage, right? And that was great and they loved it. But it was almost like helicoptering in and then helicoptering out and it didn't have long-lasting impact. And I think the point you're trying to make is instead of doing that, do this other thing where professionals can then take care of it. And the impact of that, the impact of that can be much longer term. And that's more important. I feel that it comes hand in hand. Those activities could spark a lot of ideas and commitment for volunteers as well. I I don't want to undermine that, but I think there, there are missing pieces to, to create that continuity. And that's what's lacking. 
Exactly. And how do you feel like the pandemic that I'm hoping so badly that we're coming out of as opposed to still deep in the middle of, but how do you feel like the pandemic has impacted your business itself, but also your ability to get partnerships and get people involved in Social Giver's mission? Obviously, Social Giver was directly impacted. We work with lifestyle services, right? So right. when people had to, um, you know, under lockdown, people were more cautious with where they will be traveling to or even eating out. Or you remember the time when Bangkok, like all the restaurants were closed and and it made like a big shift for people's lifestyle spending. Yeah. And at that time, we knew that the pandemic was escalating. And so we had to pivot what we are doing really quickly. Okay. And because our platform already had the feature of fundraising for different social projects, this allowed us to kind of switch our focus immediately to say that just that you can, besides shopping and donating, you can shop with a longer period of usage of the service in the future, but you can also donate here. And what is really important about being able to donate through a platform, besides the fact that Social Giver has an e-donation system, which mm -hmm. links directly to when you file your taxes, this allows people to say, hey, I don't need to keep a piece of paper anymore on where I donated to file my taxes it's later. Easier. Our system allows that to be really seamless. And so when people start donating, they realize that, oh, wow, I should be asking where my money is going. Right. And, and we are able to support them with that. So, you know, with our payment processing, it also allowed them to build trust. Because in times of chaos and so many different projects popping up, there's absolutely no filter on social media on where you're donating to. Yeah, it's hard and to know. It also led, yeah, it also led to many scams, uh, many sad incidents, or even like um, people who, you know, had no ill intentions at all, but were, were receiving millions of baht within just a few days, whereas those millions could actually help like hundreds and thousands of people. Right. And so I think it's a skewed way also when there's no transparency to see like, oh, how much is this project getting? You know, and how are they spending that money? And and I think that lack of information allows people to just give as a part of emotional giving, but nothing after that. Yeah. And I think you're right. Transparency does breed trust. If I'm willing to open up my books and tell you exactly what I'm doing, you should definitely trust me more than someone that's opaque. Yeah. Yeah. I want to understand how in the dealings with your partners over the past 18 to 24 months, particularly in the travel space, you get a sense for where they think travel is going to look like as we go forward. I have my own opinions and I was talking to somebody who runs a travel business as well. And we had a really great exchange last night, but I'm curious what you think it looks like. I think for the past like 18 months, they know that Social Giver, we have been supporting seven COVID-related projects. And when we talk about our selection of projects, we do so very intentionally that okay. these projects are projects that can help contain the problem more so upstream, which is either identify and isolate 
having uh, medicine for all, having that being delivered at their homes so that we don't put a strain at just like donating to build more facilities last minute. And not just about helping people who are just currently facing that issue, because a lot of our friends are working on that. Social right. giver choose to work more upstream so that we can try to find ways to minimize the amount of people who are being infected with COVID. And the people in the travel industry and the lifestyle industry know that it is very important that they need to support these initiatives because the sooner that they can contain the situation, the better it is for them as a business. Right. And so they see this related. They don't feel disconnected at all. And, and I feel that you know, for brands that have that vision, they are already planning how do they integrate with the community as they reopen again. And so I feel that with these brands, they are actually giving us more time to discuss about this, which is great. Yeah. And we've been able to onboard more business than ever before <laughs> because of the pandemic, which is actually, I find it to be surprising myself. <laughs> but I think there's a massive mindset change that's taken place, particularly in the lifestyle and in the travel businesses, because things were so shut down, it gave them an opportunity to rethink. If you're on a fast moving train, it's really hard to figure out how to fix the wheels. But if the train stops for a while, you can look around and think, how can we fix this and make it better when the train starts moving again? And I think that that's what you're talking about. And in a way, because they understand now better, and I think all of us do, that kind of no one succeeds alone, this idea of just running for a profit as opposed to running for also helping the surrounding community, because most of these businesses are uniquely local, yeah? That if they pay attention to yes. that, then by definition, they should succeed even more than they were before, because now they have all these supporters that are around them. I see that very clearly, especially for businesses that have always been able to communicate for international or mm. cater to international markets okay. and now have to start communicating back to local and know that the spending power is within, you know, within the country. So how do they change that communication in a way where it also ties back in that they're also returning, you know, all the goodness back into the environment, back into the local communities. Right. And, and they see that direct correlation. And I, I completely agree that they have more time, even more time to talk to the social giver team, you know, to discuss like, how do, how do we move forward with this? Or how do we change our communication later to international travelers who are more advanced in terms of thinking about being net positive or being a, a positive creator while they travel. You said earlier that this was a $39 billion opportunity in Thailand. It must be a multi, like a hundreds of billions of dollars opportunity globally. Do you see yourself expanding at any point in time out of Thailand? Or are you just so overwhelmed with opportunity here for now? I feel that from day one, when we started Social Giver, we wanted to be a tool that could be used anywhere in the world. Right. Because we feel that spare capacity exists everywhere. It does. People who need help also exist everywhere. Yeah. And if that was to be the case, you know, everywhere that we go to and travel, but 
being on the social giver platform allows you to support an initiative in that particular city or country that you go to. I mean, wouldn't that be great when we actually consider ourselves that we really preserve our heritage, but at the same time being a global citizen to seeing that we are all connected. And that is what the pandemic also reminded us about. And so I think this kind of really ties into how people you know, will be seeing themselves in the future. How do they become a more conscious consumer? Right. You know, what kind of footprint are they creating? Yeah. Or what kind of future do they want to create? Everything comes from their spending. It does. Look, I think that's a great message and a great way to end. I want to make sure that you come back periodically to give us updates and can you tell people how they can contact you or reach out to you if they're interested in either working together with you or just using the product? Yes, of course. You know, Social Giver only asks you to do more of what you love to do. And that's the beauty of it, is that we want it to be a part of your lifestyle so that it's not as if you can just live your life and then find moments to do good. and that, But that you really and truly see that you know, you really have that power to make those choices, to support brands that care, to use our platform or any other service and products that are actually contributing to something that can build a better future together. Yeah. And I feel that our community are people who are curious, curious in how they can make a bigger impact, curious to ask more questions on where their money is going to, you know, curious how brands will evolve, you know, when we move well, either as a, you know, when the pandemic ends or as a, or if it continues to be a part of our lives. I feel that being a part of this community creates meaning in your everyday life. And if you feel that this is something that speaks to you, I would love for you to you know, come check us out at socialgiver.com or download our app, Social Giver. You know, we're on social media. You can reach us out and tell us like, you would love to see this brand on, or you found an amazing project in this province and you feel that they should be supported to continue the work that they do. And most importantly, know that, you know, our referral program, it's not just about you getting a discount and your friend getting a discount, right. but you can also choose the option of, your friend getting a discount and you getting to plant a tree. You know, we have different options and incentives for people to say doing good should be easy. It shouldn't be difficult for you to feel that, you know, I'll just make a decision later. Right. You know, so, so I hope that this could be, you know, that you would also be a part of the journey to seeing Social Giver grow because, you know, I feel that there are so many projects that are very under, like underrated. They're doing great, amazing work, but it's just people don't get to know them. And we hope that we can provide that exposure for them too. That is awesome. Alisa Napatiwa Omnoy, a co-founder and the CEO of Social Giver. Thank you so much for doing this today. Let's take care. Thank you.